Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Lehman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. From the Gert Boyle studio at OPB, this is Think Out Loud. I'm Dave Miller. Todd Haynes joins us now. He is arguably the most celebrated Portland director. His films include Safe, Velvet Goldmine, I'm Not Here, and Far From Heaven. His latest is called May, December. It premiered at the Cannes Film Festival and is now streaming on Netflix. It's a fictionalized version of a real-life scandal that unfolded near Seattle in the 1990s. In the film, a woman, played by Julianne Moore, went to prison for sexually abusing a middle school boy. Then she goes on to marry him, and they raise their kids together. But instead of focusing the action in the tabloid-covered past, May-December takes place 20 years later. That is when an actress, played by Natalie Portman, spends time with the ostensibly happy family. She's there as preparation to take on the role of Julianne Moore's character in an upcoming movie. Todd Haynes, welcome back to Think Out Loud, and congratulations. Hey, Dave. Thank you so much. I want to start with the screenplay here, because it seems like there's there's a real story here. First, I'm just curious what the ratio is of screenplays that you might read for, for every film that you actually make. Oh, man. Uh, mathematics. Um, <laughs> it can be evolved. I'm just curious. I don't, it's interesting. It's such an evolving question. And, you know, really, I began my career by writing and directing and developing my own scripts. And um, and and then there was a and, and then at an interesting turning point, I worked with local writer, brilliant novelist, screenwriter, Ray, John Raymond, uh, a dear friend and 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 constant collaborator with Kelly Reichard, who's, whose films often take place in uh, the Pacific Northwest as well. And we adapted Mildred Pierce from the James M. Came novel. That was an original script that we both did, and we did it for HBO and had with Kate Winslet. It was my first limited series. But it sort of opened up the parameters for me. And after um, Mildred, I received a, a, a script that had been circulating for, for based on a Patricia Highsmith Smith novel, Price of Salt, that became my film Carol. And, and, you know, I get involved in the, in the sort of com- completion or preparation of a script toward the, toward the uh, uh, a script, uh, filming of the script and the visualization of the script and all those things get worked very closely with the writers. But it opened up a different mode of practice that has been only nourishing and has broadened my parameters and possibilities. And it is also made for a, a slightly quicker turnaround of, of films. And May, December came to me from Natalie Portman um at the height of covid and i was reading a little bit more than normal because we were all not working and didn't know when we would all be getting back to work but it was a script that made a real impression on me what does it take for a script to cut through the noise for you i mean christine vashon who has been producing every single film i have made every feature film of mine from my first feature film poison in 1991 through to May, December, and and works mostly at Killer Films with Pam Koffler, the amazing um, team uh, at, at Killer. And, and uh, they they read more, a lot more stuff than ultimately probably gets to me. And it's really stuff, they, they kind of know where my radar is. They know the stuff I'm kind of trying to get into development and move forward on. And so it's only with certain exceptions that they really say, 
you got to check this out. You know, this is something really, really special. And we we think you'll respond to it. And I, tr- they know me so well and I trust them and they really trust me. It, it coming from Natalie Portman already puts it in a different category. And, 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 you know, and it was, and as, as I said, it was a time I was actually reading more stuff than I usually do. When she brought it to you, was she saying, I want to play the actress in this movie? It was basically implied when she brought it to me. I read the script before talking to her about it. And I think if I recall correctly, people said, yeah, Natalie would be attached to play Elizabeth. And whether that was literally literally stated or not, it was impossible to not picture Natalie in this role as I read it. So it became fused completely in my in my imagination as I started to visualize the film as I read it for the first time. Hmm. Elizabeth, the, the Natalie Portman character, is a a TV star. And we get the sense, just from, from various cues and clues here and there, that she's not making what, what people now call prestige TV. She doesn't seem particularly proud of her work. At one point, she says something like, I'm glad you, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear you watch it, but I sort of, I wish you, you didn't watch the movies, the, the TV shows I'm in. What's at stake in, in this movie that, that she's researching for her? I mean, I think we understand, and and the and the thing that that we, I should say right away is how how carefully and sort of suggestively the tone of the script is, and how much isn't said, and how much it it immediate. And I love this when I first read it, and I and it was the it was part of my sort of desire, my sort of creative juices began flowing to think of ways of transferring this to the screen to really keep this going. But it put the reader in a state of interpretation and reading between the lines and reading into the subtext of stuff that wasn't said. So you intuit quite a lot from what is said. And so you sense that this actor has tremendous ambitions and although she's received success for a popular television show, and I kind of imagine it like a, we all sort of thought like a Grey's Anatomy, like a highly respected Emmy award winning show, comedy drama, something of that sort, but that she still was looking to to prove her chops, you know, as an actor in a, in a more substantial way. Hmm. I want to play a clip from the movie. At, at one point, Natalie Portman's, actor, character, is visiting the high school drama club. She has an afternoon to spare, and students ask her some questions. And one boy asks if she's ever done any sex scenes. He's he's playing that for laughs, and he gets some, and the teacher scolds him. But this is how Elizabeth responds. Sometimes it's really mechanical, like a choreographed dance. The only thing you can focus on is where you're supposed to be, and when, and then sometimes there's there's real chemistry between two people, and and you start feeling like it's real in this strange way. You you never admit it to one another, but you you're wearing practically nothing, and you're rubbing up against each other, and <laughs> sweating, and for hours, and. You start losing the line of, of like, am I pretending that I'm experiencing pleasure or am I 
Am I pretending that I'm not experiencing pleasure? And the whole crew, they're almost always all men. They're, you feel them watching and you feel them like holding their breath. And they try to hide it when they swallow. And you give in to the rhythm, you know, every time. Tension never breaks. Kimmy. Yeah. Uh, how, how do you choose your roles? Hmm. That is uh, Natalie Portman, uh, who is in Todd Haynes' new movie, May, December. What was most important to you when you were shooting that scene? Well, Natalie, Natalie's character, Elizabeth, is on a, a mission which she describes with the sort of customary, you know, presumptions or pretensions of sort of actor speech to, you know, get to the truth, to, to you know, make um, Gracie feel seen and known as a subject. And, and these presumptions we, we, we might take, you know, in earnest initially, but you start to watch the the program of this actor and the sort of the almost reckless lack of concern for the costs of this mission to get to the quote unquote truth. And, and in this case, she's in a classroom of high school students and, and, and the very premise of the film is about how could this relationship have ever begun between Julianne Moore, in, who was the age Natalie Portman, is in the film as Elizabeth, 36, when she first seduced uh, Char- the character of Joe, played by Charles Melton, when he was 13 years old. And so you watch that tension that <laughs> Natalie describes as an actor in that, in that scene completely overwhelm the students. But she's toying with them and she's seducing them on mass. And so the tensions, it's hard to fully, I think, experience it in an audio clip because so much of it is also about how it's trapped in the frames, I think, of the film itself. And I, I totally agree. And I apologize for yeah, that, but we remain no, radio No, no, God, it's so it's just so <laughs> interesting to hear it. I don't think I've heard it as a clip. And it's so you know, you imagine what is this, what it, what are we seeing? As you're as you're as you're hearing it, um, be uh, be clip, be, be uh, told. We overall spend more time with that Natalie Portman character Elizabeth than with Gracie, the, the Julianne Moore character, and, and and I think it's also fair. We we spend more time overall um, with the the one time twelve year old now the the thirty six or so year old husband. They're, they're more centered than the person who I think I expected to be the heart of the movie. What do you think that accomplishes for viewers? I think what's so, what's so compelling about the script and I think the, the, the real – a lot of people have been talking about various lines of, this, of the film which have humor and, and a mordant kind of you know irony to them and a – and they're quotable and they're, but what's so remarkable to me about the script is its structure and how it's set 20 
plus years after the tabloid event and how basically it's about an excavation into the past. And so it's through Natalie's, you know, driven at times selfish, often selfish or, 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 or at, by the end, quite cravenly. So, um, attempt to get to the tr to her notion of what the truth of the story is that we also learn more and more about Gracie because she's being described by people and interviewed by people who knew her and ultimately uh Elizabeth Natalie's character starts to embody her and there's a letter that is saved by Joe that was not supposed to be saved during the legal proceedings all those years ago that ultimately he gives her and it and it comes as sort of a climactic moment of the film where elizabeth has sort of fully entered the role of 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 gracie and we see that transformation in front of us and in in fact you learn more about gracie you also know learn quite a bit about elizabeth herself in that recitation of that letter what made you want to ask Julianne Moore, who I think now this is the, the fifth time you've worked with her in a film, yeah. to play the Gracie character? I, I mean, look, I have been, I have been um, blessed as an as a filmmaker, as a creator of stories and and scripts and ideas from the beginning of my career, from the second feature film I made, Safe, with the incredible good fortune of finding in Julianne more a kind of creative um, counterpart of, of somebody who 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 came fully people say oh how has your you know relationship with Julie changed or evolved over the years and the remarkable thing about it Dave is like it was she was fully intact as a creative creature as a fully, um, you know, uh, formed actor, but somebody drawn to similar kinds of territory as I was as a director. And so we found each other at that time. And in, in probably what remains one of the most challenging roles I think she's ever played, uh, Carol White in Safe. Um, and we have just been able to keep touching, you know, ground with her on on film after film and role after role and somewhere she's the center of the story like in far from heaven a, a script i actually wrote for julian where the first and only time i've ever really done that for an actor all the way through to this this project and, and when natalie when i first started to talk to natalie about elizabeth and what interested her about this role and the gray areas that the story unfolds and so navigates and puts the puts into into the hands of the audience to negotiate and to sort of and to sort of question their own expectations and presumptions about what these kinds of characters who they might be i was like wow this incredibly brilliant actor natalie portman reminds me of somebody i know very well hmm. and here was this second role of a woman hovering around 60 and I was, you know, it's rare for a, a director who loves to feature women and, and female characters in his in his films to be handed that kind of um, challenge and possibility and opportunity to have two such incredibly strong and com compelling women at the core of a of a script. If you're just tuning in, we're talking right now with the filmmaker Todd Haynes about his latest movie, May, December. You can stream it right now on Netflix. Let's listen to a scene that takes place between Gracie, the, the Julianne Moore character, and her husband, Joe, who's played by Charles Melton. 
we have learned a little bit before this scene takes place that some people in town are are buying Gracie's cakes or pies from her home baking business largely out of pity. Those are the people who haven't shunned her. Um, in this scene, Joe has walked into the house and he hears her crying. Joyce and Bertha called and canceled her order and all future orders. And I told her that I'd already made it, and she said that she would pay for it, but that she didn't need it. They were leaving town. Where are they going? Her sister is sick or something. It doesn't matter. I wasted hours that I could have used. You couldn't have known, Gracie. I I hate things like that. And now I have this cake that's going to go right in the garbage. You won't have to throw it in the garbage. (laughs) Can you describe the adult relationship between Gracie and Joe? (laughs) I mean, in many ways, it's sort of the the object of the film that is trying to comprehend how this couple has subsisted over these years. And the and and so there are relatively few scenes of the two of them alone. And this was one of them. And you so you gain tremendous insider clues as to sort of how much he has been there to sort of manage the the cracks in the edifice and the and the sort of lurking panic and it's hard to necessarily know whether th- those cracks and that panic is due to a couple things one is the the entrance of this actress into their into their sort of walled off this edifice that that, that they built up to protect this life or and or due to the fact that the kids are about to graduate and leave an empty nest and force the couple to confront themselves for the first time in these 20 years, 20 some years, and have to really take stock of who they are in ways that they haven't had to and that raising children have been a, he- a relatively healthy way of evading all of these really trying and you know seismic questions. One of the most indelible aspects of the movie as as a viewer and as a listener is a musical theme that you bring back in multiple scenes at multiple times. I want to play uh, one of the, the versions of this theme for folks, and then we can talk about it. Right. What is this music from? The music is from, um, <laughs> the music is is created by my composer, Marcelo Zarvas, but the source of the, of the main melodic theme is from the 1971 Joseph Losey film, The Go-Between. And the score, uh, from that film is by Michelle Legrand. And I, I 
this was a very well celebrated film when it came out in 1971. For some reason, that film has sort of disappeared from circulation in the United States. It's very rarely seen. And as is often the case, it cropped up on Turner Classic Movies last year when I was putting together materials for May, December in my image book and doing the kind of preparation I do for my movies. And I was I, I mean, it's a fantastic film. It's a complete, it's a gorgeous film starring Julie Christie and Alan Bates. Um, but the score by Michelle Legrand asserts itself as you, as you just played that example at the very beginning of the movie before it's even started in the opening credits. And, and I found myself on the edge of my seat going, wait a minute, what is this film about? Uh, where is this film going? It's not a thriller. It's not a murder mystery. It's not a, you know, and, and it's a, and this film is like a coming of age story set at the turn of the century about a 12 year old boy who becomes a sort of go between, but between uh, an illicit relationship between Julie Christie and a farmhand played by Alan Bates. And, but it puts the audience in a state of compulsive, questioning and and interpreting against what is happening in front of you and i thought okay okay this is what we got to do this is something this is something we i want to do for may december create a very strong and compelling frame that you know put the audience into a place of constantly questioning and reading what was going on but that it allowed you a kind of you know compulsive pleasure in doing so. One of the, the very first times, um, I think the first time it happens in the movie proper after the after the opening scene in your movie is when Julianne Moore's character is opening the refrigerator door, the camera zooms in on her, which is one of not very many zooms like that as I remember it. It seems like there's going to be a dramatic reveal. The dramatic music is happening. And then she says, I don't think we have enough hot dogs. What were you going for in that very specific moment? The, the the sting of music that accompanied the zoom for that particular shot was sort of an afterthought. It's just a sting. It's a, meaning a little hit of the music from the score that that I just pulled out of a piece of the score while we were cutting it. Now this music I actually used uh, tonally for the sake of the production of the actors. As a sort of example, I didn't think we would literally try to adapt this particular score. I just thought this is where I want to, you know, maybe go with it. But we played it during the making of the film. So it, it, every scene where I thought music would play in the film, this one being a, one of the rare exceptions, we played that music on set. And then we turned it down when we were recording the dialogue and turned it back up when the dialogue ended, you know. So everybody was in the same tonal place and is that the way you you regularly make movies <laughs> no, where you're playing music God. for people and then turning it down no. and saying action i mean only when in films that i've made that are about musical subjects like the velvet like velvet goldmine which was about the glam rock era or i'm not there which was about the music of bob dylan and uh only in, in films that were explicitly about music because you don't know what the score is going to be. And I know I, I never would think to like play a score, um, you know, especially a single a, a score in its entirety, cue by cue by cue while making a film. 
but we had to we had to do this film very quickly on a limited budget and we shot the movie in 23 days in savannah georgia wow. we we all had to sort of be on we all had to sort of join hands and jump off the cliff together take some very bold creative you know risks the the film is comprised of of, of scenes that are often single shot scenes many of which are played in our mirror scenes where the actors are are performing in front of mirrors are are the characters are performing in front of mirrors and the the lens of the camera is the reflection of the actor in the mirror and we don't cut or establish the mirror in the scene you understand exactly what's happening due to the performances but it puts, of course, a tremendous burden on the fact that there's no other way to cut the film. Todd Haynes, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks so much. Thank you, Dave. Todd Haynes, the director of the new film May, December, which is streaming now on Netflix. Thanks very much for tuning in to Think Out Loud on OPB and KLCC. I'm Dave Miller. We'll be back tomorrow. Think Out Loud is supported by Stephen Jan Oliva, the Rose E. Tucker Charitable Trust, Ray and Marilyn Johnson, and the Susan Hammer Fund of the Oregon Community Foundation. Music